designed it to be intentional to reach all people from all walks of life. I'm Hispanic. My wife is Korean. This is the one time I've preached that I didn't bring a picture of my family. I don't know what was with me. That was just so awkward. But in our church, we were intentional about everything that we did. In fact, we even changed the time that we met. Normally, churches meet on Sunday mornings, right? And that's pretty, pretty typical. We decided that if we're going to reach the multi-ethnic community, which may have Buddhists and Hindus and Muslims and atheists, if we invite them to church on a Sunday morning, like, no, thank you. So we decided we're going to have church on Saturday evenings, and it's every week was just like this. Because we had a meal every time we got together. And so instead of inviting the, the Hindus, the Muslims, the Buddhists, and the atheists to church service on Saturday, uh, Sunday morning, we said, why don't you come and have dinner with us on Saturday evening, meet people from around the world, and then after that we have a service. And it was such a beautiful thing. We planted a church, and in the eight years that we were there, we had people from 62 nations walk through our doors. It was so beautiful. You should have seen our worship team at one time had eight people from eight different countries up on the stage. It was so beautiful. What's even more incredible was that church was in the heart of Springfield, Missouri. And I don't know if you know anything about Springfield, Missouri, but it's 82, uh, 92% Caucasian, 90, 92% white. So to have a church that had 62 nations come through, it's a miracle of God. But we've had a heart for ministry uh, for people around the world. The crazy thing about my wife is her goal, she's also a professor at Trinity, her goal is to one day preach in Spanish. But I have a heart for Koreans. So, I mean, God paired us together pretty well. I praise God for that. Well, uh, like Pastor said, um, I was a missionary in South Korea for four years. We planted a church there, and in the span of the years that we were there, that church is still going, and it reached people from 50 different nations. God has been good in my life. God has opened up so many doors. And today, actually, Pastor, when you called me or when you texted me about um, preaching on giving, I was sitting there at my computer um, getting ready for my class. And you know what the class was? It was called itineration and fundraising. I was getting to ready to prepare to teach the next generation of missionaries how to ask for help, how to get partners to come alongside them. And one of the very first things that we learned in that class was it was called the paradigm principle. And that paradigm principle was very simple. It was like, sometimes we have to have a paradigm shift in our minds of what it means to give. Because a lot of times we're like, oh man, that, more missionaries are going to come and ask for money. That's not what it's about. You get the opportunity to partner with somebody doing work that you would like to do perhaps, but you simply can't do it. So you help partner with them so that they can do it. Because I don't know about you, but I would love to plant a church in India. I, will, I have a heart to actually plant a Bible college in other countries. That's my heart. I can't do that without partners. And when we are asked to give, it should be a joy for us to do that. In fact, two of the main scriptures that came up, particularly for your church when, when pastor asked me to preach, was this one. Proverbs 3, 9 through 10, it says this. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. 
And if I could kind of change that up into something that it's a little bit easier to digest, honor God and he will provide for you. And then Malachi 3.10 is another famous one that talks about something very similar. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour out for you a blessing until there is no more need. Praise God for that. And if I should maybe kind of say that in a simpler form, honor God and he will bless you. It's so strange that we can think if we start donating funds or start giving our treasure, we will actually have a blessing in return. It's not always a financial blessing, but I don't know about you, but I love having peace of mind. I love going home at night thinking, I'm so content with my life. I'm so blessed that my children are healthy. They're happy. I have a wonderful wife. I have a job that provides for me. I have God in my heart. I am content. And much of that is because I have given in sacrifice to ministry and to the Lord. Now, there are a few other verses. I'm just going to briefly go over these because if you're taking notes and you wanted to know where the scriptures talking about giving in the Bible, I'm just going to go over a few of them with you really quick. 1 Corinthians 9.7 basically is talking about God loves a cheerful giver. And if you're not here wanting to give your thousands of dollars or hundreds of dollars or tens of dollars today and you're not cheerful, I don't think God wants that. There has to be a paradigm shift in your heart today. And I'm probably assuming that many of you have already prepared a certain amount of money in your heart. I'm not here to maybe push that any farther, but God may say, hey, you know, you were going to give this much. Let's be a little bit sacrificial and give a little bit more. That's not, well, I'm not here for that, but God may do that in your own heart. Matthew 6, uh, uh, 6 2 through 4 says, But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Here's what I want to focus on. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. We don't really should be giving for reward. That's just an afterthought of it. That's the byproduct of giving is God's going to reward us. Thank God that he has provided everything that you need and that he, there's an overabundance that we can share it with God. And I'm going to get to that in a little bit more. Deuteronomy 15 I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy, and to the poor in your land. Luke 6.30, give to everyone who begs from you. We've probably never even seen that one before. We probably just kind of overlooked that one. God, give to everyone who begs from you. <clears throat> Which, by the way, if you ever go on a missions trip, um, you will see lots and lots and lots of beggars. And your missionaries will tell you not to give because I, I did this once, Pastor. Uh, the, the missionary said, don't give any money to the kids. I was the last in the line of people. And the little, this little kid goes, just a little, little tiny kid. Just like that. I mean, how can you not? And the money that I had in my hand was probably like 25 cents. So I just said, not 10 seconds later, I had 30 kids around me. And I'm like, okay. That missionary knew what he was talking about, so maybe, but, at the, but I had a heart of compassion, and it's hard not to have compassion all the time when you see people who are need, in need. And then, you know, this one is the one, I'll talk about this one just a little bit, Proverbs eleven twenty four. 24. 
One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another one withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Have you ever noticed that? If you are a, a habitual giver, there is something about giving that you feel like you've received. Uh, maybe parents can understand this. You love, I don't care about getting presents at Christmas time from my kids. I just love to see the shiny faces of what they get, and they're so excited. And I love that because I love to give to my kids, and I love to see the reaction. But then it says, another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Those who have uh, a greedy heart, they will never feel satisfaction and contentment if they're not fully giving. And Mark 12, 42, I have a couple of different sermons that kind of expand this one out uh, about the widow's mites, the lady who went and just gave two little coins. But Jesus points her out and says, but you, she gave everything that she had. Now, uh, we're not going to ask you to give everything that you have. But out of the abundance that God has given you, I pray today will be such a blessing upon this community, upon this church, upon your, ch your family, and upon yourselves that you give and you're like, God, I could give so much more. I've heard some stories of, of, of missionaries who on their deathbed, they're like, I could have given so much more. I could have done so much more with my life. And we're like, you've reached hundreds of thousands of people. Like, but I could have given more. That's the kind of heart of giving that we should have. Because I think about this, whatever we get here on this earth is infinitely tiny to compare, compared to what we're going to receive in eternity. We could not buy anything. We couldn't buy one, one blade of grass in heaven with every richness on earth. So why do we keep hoarding up the little things that we have here when God is asking for eternal reward? And that's what I want to be talking about a little bit today. But before I get there, I want to share a little story with you. I, I read this a few months back, and I was like, this was a pretty amazing story. Um, many of you may or may not know who Katherine Hepburn is. She was a famous actress. She actually, um, uh, she's, she was in over 60 years worth of um, Movies, that's pretty incredible. From a young teenage girl all the way up into her 70s or 80s, I believe, she, she was doing wonderful uh, acting. But she tells a story when she was a teenager, and I want to share this with you. Once, when I was a teenager, my father and I were standing in the line to buy tickets for the circus. Finally, there was only one other family between us and the ticket counter. This family made a big impression on me. There were eight children all probably under the age of 12. <clears throat> the way they were dressed, you could tell they didn't have a lot of money, but their clothes were neat and clean. The children were well-behaved, all of them standing in line, two by two behind their parents, holding hands. They were excitedly jabbering about the clowns, the animals, and all the acts that they would be seeing that night. Their excitement, you could sense, they had never been in the circus before. It would be a highlight of their lives. The father and mo uh, mother were at the head of the pack, standing proud as can be. The mother holding her husband's hand, looking up at him as if to say, You're my knight in shining armor. He was smiling and enjoying to see his happy family. The ticket lady asked the man how many tickets he wanted. He proudly responded, I would like to buy eight tickets for my children and two adults, please. 
The ticket lady stated the price. The man's wife let, let go of his hand. Her head dropped. The man's lip began to quiver. Then he leaned a little closer and asked, uh, uh, How much did you say? The ticket lady again stated the price. The man didn't have enough money. How was he supposed to turn and tell his eight kids that he, could, he didn't have enough money to take him to the circus? Seeing what was going on, my dad reached into his pocket, pulled out a $20 bill, and dropped it on the ground. We were not rich by any sense of the word. My father bent down, picked up the $20 bill, tapped the man on the shoulder, and said, Excuse me, sir, I believe you dropped this. It came out of your pocket. The man understood what was going on. He wasn't begging for a handout, but certainly appreciated the help in a desperate, heartbreaking, and embarrassing situation. He looked straight into my dad's eye, took his, my dad's hand in both of his, squeezed tightly onto that $20 bill, and with his lips quivering and tears streaming down his cheek, he replied, Thank you. Thank you, sir. This really means a lot to me and my family. My father and I went back to our car, drove home. The $20 that my dad gave away is what we were going to buy our own tickets with. Although we didn't get to see the circus that night, we both felt a joy inside us that was far greater than seeing the circus could ever provide. That day, I learned the value to give. I thought that was an incredible story. That I just imagine when Catherine Hepburn was a little girl and she went, she could have gone to the circus, had a good time, and memory would fade. But instead of going to the circus, she witnessed her dad be generous and give to somebody in need. And she forever remembered that story. I want to tell you a couple things about this. Parents, (laughs) your children... Their generosity may depend on how you are an example. I know that my father was a good man, and I'm so proud to be his son. And I see my children being raised in the way that they should go, that they all love the Lord with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. In fact, my oldest boy, who's now a uh, freshman at Trinity Bible College, I get to see him play soccer and, ba- and basketball for the for Trinity Lions. It's so, I'm so proud of him. But what I'm more proud of is when he was a little boy, when he was probably nine years old, we had homeless people in Springfield, Missouri. And he would say, can we help them somehow? So we made, our church made these, um, what do we call them? We, we call them a certain bag. We had a, a nickname for them that we actually got about 100 of them. We made them, and we, we gave them to our church members that they can go, and every time they saw a homeless person, they can just give a bag away. Um, people in need bag. That's what it was called, pin bag. We call it a pin bag, people in need bag. And we kind of thought about giving cash out. And he goes, Dad, if, if we would give them cash, that maybe they would spend it on drugs and alcohol. So let's don't do that. And he came up with the idea, like a 10-year-old boy, 9-year-old boy, he says, what if we go and buy them McDonald's gift cards? And I'm like, that's, that's a great idea because they, can't, they only can get food from that. And so what we did is we did the pin bags, and we did it twice at our church, and people loved it. And we would have testimony after testimony of how they felt so blessed when they gave those away. 
In fact, what we started to do was I would just buy about 10 or 20 of them and just leave them in my car. So anytime I saw one, I would say, hey, God bless you, brother. And my children have seen that. And they have now the same kind of heart of compassion, the same heart of giving that I have. And I pray that the example that Catherine Hepburn has given, uh, it will help you understand that we should have this heart of giving as well. But why does this story affect us so much? Well, because we are innately desired to help others. But why is it so hard for pastor and other pastors, and, and this is a kind of a, a general consensus among pastors, it's hard to talk about money. It's almost as a, it's a, like a taboo in churches because, oh, we don't want to start making people feel uncomfortable. For pastors, it's very stressful to talk about uh, finances. And part of the reason is coming from Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Let me read this to you. <clears throat> Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your heart is, there your heart, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. And I want to focus on that for a little bit. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. What is, what is this treasure that we're talking about? The treasure represents whatever has most value and gives us security, and our heart also represents our values, the sources of choices we make. The heart represents the hidden, deepest, and most intimate part of ourselves and the very source of our lives. Here's a quick question. Just, just You don't have to answer this out loud, but what do you spend money on? What do you spend your time on? That's where your heart is. I have a few different um, collections. I like, I like to collect things. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a hobbyist. I actually collect hobbies because I keep getting one, then I go to another one. I, just, I, don't, I don't know why. I, I, I got into collecting license plates this summer, and I did it for about two months, and I got bored with it, and now I'm collecting police officer patches. That's kind of strange. I, I was a police officer um, chaplain, and so I had all these patches for the chaplain. I'm just, you know, I'm starting to do that. But I'm not spending a lot of money. But what do you spend your money on? My, my wife spends an inordinate amount of money on, on <laughs> I hate to say this, but on beauty products. <laughs> I, she has about 50 little things. And I'm like, what does this one do? What does this cream do? What does that do? And I'm like, they, they moisturize my face, okay? What does this one do? Well, this one helps with this. I'm like, doesn't that other one do the same thing? Yes, but it does it differently. I'm like, okay. You can tell she wants to keep her beauty. And I get it, you know, that's understandable. But what do you spend your time on? Are you watching Netflix all day? doing stuff maybe that you shouldn't be doing? Are you praying and reading your Bible? Whatever it is, that is where your heart is. And so right now, in this particular scripture, it's talking about treasure. And it, it, it kind of uses a weird, a weird word, uh, vermin. Um, some of your Bibles may say rust. Some of them may say mammon. Has anybody ever seen that word, mammon? 
We're not exactly sure what the translation of mammon is. It could have been a, a, an ancient god that was kind of uh, one that was focused on finances or uh, being wealthy. Uh, vermin and rust, they're not actually quite the same thing, but basically what the word is, it's things that corrode and things that destroy. But for where your heart is, there your heart, there your, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Why is it so hard to give? It's not really that hard when we give something to someone that we love. Just like I was talking about. Isn't it beautiful that when you get to share something with somebody that you love? We love to give things to our children. Maybe not so much to a stranger. But if we love the Lord, giving should be a natural part of our lives. The point of Matthew 6.21 is that we should not fall so in love with the gift that we neglect the gift giver. Point number one. Oh, something happened there. I'm sorry. Our money, our treasure is temporary. But spiritual investments are eternal. What we do with our money, with our, we cannot take anything with us into heaven except for the investments that we've made into people's lives that they may come to know Jesus Christ. I would, love, I would love to be a minister or a missionary or a pastor that one day I get to heaven and I get to see the people that I got to tell, tell people about Jesus, those that I told about Jesus. That's the only investment that I'm going to make in heaven. And so when you think about helping a missionary, when you think about helping your community with your finances, what you're doing is you're making an eternal investment. Do we understand that giving today can have effects in eternity? Because if we don't, let's have a paradigm shift. There's a story in Matthew 25. It's about when Jesus' second coming comes along. And it says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you have you who are blessed by my Father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Verse 35. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. For I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. For I, I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Verse 37. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did I see that you were hungry or thirsty and fed you and give you something to drink? Verse 40 says, <clears throat> the king will reply, reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you do for the least of these, you did for me. There was a time where <clears throat> I was driving down the road and I saw somebody have some problems with their car. I don't want to just leave somebody on the side of the road, so I stopped, pulled over, went and helped them, whatever I could do. And <laughs> my daughter must have been around, I don't know, five years old. And I come back in and she yells, my daddy's a hero. <laughs> and I didn't think much of it because I like, I just, I, I like to help people. But what it did is it implanted in her mind, we can help people. 
And so then, you know, years later, she's, you know, 10 years old, you know, a little bit older then. And I did the same thing. And again, my dad is a hero. So it's kind of a joke. Every time I stop, and it actually happens a lot more than I, I mean, a lot of times. People are always on the side of the road. And, and just kind of a joking now. My dad's a hero. But guess what? I implanted in them the heart's desire to help others. The joy that I have has now been passed on to the next generation. And I pray that my children will also do the same, that they will go and help other people. When we give, point number two, when we give, we do it unto the Lord. Now, I love, I love to help people, but there's also a part of me is I help people because God has helped me. I don't know about you, but the most important thing in my life, the most important thing in any of our life is the fact that we have Jesus Christ in our heart and we have eternity to spend with him. So all the minor things that happen to us on this earth, maybe our bank account is low, maybe our health isn't the best, maybe we're having problems and situations. Can we just rejoice and say we have eternal life? And with that Maybe our treasure is more focused on having a relationship with God than having a bank account that's overflowing. Maybe it's, let's do good things here on this earth to the best of our ability and do it unto the Lord. I have been able to preach in front of hundreds of people, and I've been able to preach in front of tens of people, and I think one, one time I preached among five people, but you know what? It didn't matter because wherever I went, wherever they asked me to speak, I didn't do it just for the people. I did it. said, God, this is my sacrifice to you. I want to love you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength that when you ask me, somebody asks me to preach, I'm going to do it as unto you. So when you're giving finances today, as you give your gift, it's not to pastor. It's not to this church. It's not to just be the light or just to the project um, Ignite Light or project building project. You're doing it unto the Lord. And when you do it unto the Lord, don't you think you want to do the best job? Imagine somebody important was going to come over to your house. If it's your neighbor, oh yeah, you might want to clean up a little bit, right? <laughs> if it's a friend, maybe it's family, I don't have to clean up. Maybe they can help me with the dishes. <clears throat> but if, I don't know, the President of the United States comes, or the Governor of North Dakota comes, I think you might do a little bit of house cleaning, don't you think? You want everything best. You want to get the best steak. You want to get the best drinks. You want to have a nice house. You want to do something a little bit better than normal. Then why don't we do that for the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords? We should give our very best. And if your very best is $5, praise God for it. When I first became a missionary, I was actually a youth pastor, and we transitioned to becoming a missionary. This young lady gave me, I still have the jar. Uh, I, 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 when I go itinerate, I take this jar with me. This young lady gave me a little note, and she says, Pastor, I know we're, we're so sad that you're leaving, but I wanted to give you everything that I have. I know it's not much. It's $47.15. This is all I have, and I pray that you will go with the blessings of our church. I've never touched that $41.15 because that has impacted uh, other people more than that $47 could ever do. And when I share that story, I'm like, that story by itself is worth the $47.15. 
but it was her heart. The heart is what mattered. And if she had $47 a hair pass or whatever, and it didn't mean anything to her, that's something different. There's a story about David about having to give a sacrifice. In 2 Samuel, this is one of these crazy stories about David. He wanted to take a census, and he knew he shouldn't do it, but he did it anyways, because what it did, it defied God's orders. He gets God mad, and it burns against Israel. Now David's heart was troubled after him, and he, after he counted the people. So David said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done, but now, Lord, Please overlook the guilt of your servant, for I have acted very foolishly. So God did something that I've never heard of before, and I don't think I've ever seen it since. He's like, okay, David, you've messed up. So I'm going to give you three options. You choose which one. You choose your punishment. Did you ever have that opportunity? Thank you, man. Have you ever had that opportunity when you were a kid and you messed up and your parents say, go get a switch outside. You can go choose it. Now, this never happened to me, but I have, seen, I have seen movies where, like, do you want the belt, do you want the switch, or do you want the hammer? You know, whatever, I don't know, it's probably not a bat, you know? <laughs> Dear Lord, I hope it's not the hammer, right? But have you ever, anybody ever had that sense? You get to choose what your punishment is. I, I, don't, I haven't ever done that, but God says, I'm going to let you choose what your punishment is. And because of David's fault and his error, 70,000 people died. Because of his sin. <clears throat> verse 19, uh, verse 18 of 24. So Gad the prophet came to David that day and said to him, Go up, erect an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Arana, the Jebusite. Then Arana said, Why has my lord the king come to his servant? And David said, To buy the threshing floor from you in order to build an altar to the Lord, so that the plague may be withdrawn from the people. Arana then said to David, Let my lord the king take and, off, and offer up what is good in his sight. Look, here, at the offer, uh, here at, are the oxen for the burnt offering, the threshing sledges, and the yokes of the oxen for the wood. Everything, O God, O king, Arana gives to the king. So God tells him, You need to go to the threshing floor and build an altar, and I will forgive the sins. Arana says, Oh, please take my oxen, take my land, take all this wood, build, do it for God. I'll do it for you, Lord. I'll do it for you, king. And Arana said to the, the king, may the Lord your God be favorable to you. Verse 24 is what I want you to focus on. However, the king said to Arana, no, but I will certainly buy it from you for a price. For I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. My third point for today is when we give, it should cost us something. It, we should feel it. We should feel the financial burden. It's easy to give out of the overabundance that we have. It's a sacrifice when we've, oh, Lord, I don't know how we're going to be able to afford this, but I want to give to you my very best. David could have simply said, hey, thanks, Arana. I appreciate all this stuff. And you know what? It would have been nothing to him. How many of you have children and they, they ask for stuff all the time? They go to the store, hey, can I have this? Can I have that? And I'm like, do you understand how money works? I have, I have, to, I have, to, I have to make this money. 
The funny thing is, when they get to the age where they can have their own money, it's all of a sudden they're very, very particular in what they buy, right? <laughs> my, daughter's, my daughter's 12 right now. <clears throat> And, and actually, on the way here, she wrote, <laughs> on the way here, she texts me her wish list, <laughs> her Christmas wish list, and there's like 30 things on it. I'm like, I don't think you understand how money works. And so I think, okay. So sometimes she goes, Dad, can I have some money because I want this and this? I'm like, you have money? Yeah, but I only have $50. I'm like, $50? You have more than I do. I'm like, she could buy what she wants, but it, it's a sacrifice, right? And a kid at that age, they don't understand that sacrifice. Me as a dad, me, you, you as mothers and fathers and grandparents, you understand the sacrifice. But we do it because we love our children. We do it because we love our grandchildren. But it does take a sacrifice. And when we give to God, do not just give out of what you have. Give when it hurts. And I, I hate to say it that way, but that's what God honors. I thank God because he gets us into uncomfortable situations. And I want to go back to one of my first points was this. Where is our treasure? If our treasure is not God himself, then we're going to have a problem. When God is our treasure, when our relationship with God is all that matters, everything else is it's not so big of a deal. It hurts. Oh, no, I got to spend another 150 bucks on this. God, you provide all my needs. I thank you, Lord, for that. And I'm going to give you my fourth point right now, and I'm going to talk about it. My fourth point is have eternal ambition. Have eternal ambition. I don't know how many elderly people that we have in here but I'm going to be talking about some things that happened in the 60s. If you were around in the 60s, you probably remember the, the U.S.-Russia battle to space. Do you guys remember that? Very intense. In fact, we were losing that battle for a while. They got up there, and they got Sputnik up there. They had, a, I think, a dog or a monkey up there, and they had the first guy going around. And it was a lot of pressure on the United States because we were supposed to be the elite, the number one country. And like, how are we going to do this? We were losing for quite a while until one speech changed it all. John F. Kennedy gave a speech on September 12, 1962, one of the greatest speeches of mankind's history. And I'm going to just paraphrase a little bit of it. I'm not going to do the whole thing. It'll take a long time, but I'm going to give a little bit to you if you don't mind because it was powerful. Man, in his quest for knowledge and progress, is determined and cannot be deterred. The exploration of space will go ahead, whether we join in it or not. And it is, and it is one of the great adventures of all time. And no nation which expects to be the leader of other nations can expect to stay behind in the race for space. We choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard, because that goal will serve to organize and measure the best of our energies and skills, because that challenge is one that we are willing to accept, one we are unwilling to postpone, and one which we intend to win. 
But if I were to say, my fellow citizens, that we shall send to the moon 240,000 miles away a giant rocket more than 300 feet tall made of new metal alloys, some of which have not been invented, on an untried mission to an unknown celestial body and then return it safely to Earth, re-entering the atmosphere at speeds over 25,000 miles an hour, and do all this and do it right and do it first before this decade is out, then we must be bold. Many years ago, the great British explorer George Mallory, who was, who was to die on Mount Everest, was asked, why do you want to climb it? He said, because it is there. Well, space is there, and we're going to climb it, and the moon and the planets are there, and new hopes for knowledge and peace are there, and therefore, as we set sail, we ask God's blessing on the most hazardous and dangerous and greatest adventure on which man has ever embarked. That was part of the speech. I tell you what, that didn't just motivate a few people. That, in, that motivated an entire generation it changed the progress of time itself when I'm talking about going to space. He said that he wanted to get to space, to land on the moon within that decade. Guess what? We did it. But it took a speech like that. This speech motivated people. Little boys were walking around with little rockets, and I want to be an astronaut. Movies and books and comics and all that were captivated by space. 1969, we landed on the moon. But the story I want to share with you is one about something just a few months after that. In 1963, John F. K. was visiting NASA, the space center. During his visit, he noticed a janitor walking and carrying a broom. So he decided he wanted to talk to him. So he walked over there and he said to him, Hi, I'm, I'm Jack Kennedy. What are you doing? And here's what I want you to focus on. This is the janitor's response. He said... Well, Mr. President, I'm helping put a man on the moon. He could have very easily said, well, sir, I'm just the janitor here. I'm, I'm cleaning up spots. <clears throat> no. He bought into the idea that everybody who was working in NASA had one goal in mind. That was to get somebody to space. So what he was doing was helping get to that project. Well, why? Why in the world am I sharing this story? What does this have to do with giving? <laughs> well, every time you give to a missionary, you are helping put a man or a woman in a country so that they can share the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is an, an, an eternal ambition. Every time you give to your church, you are helping your community by being a beacon of light, an eternal ambition. Every time you give to a community project, you're helping clothe somebody, give them a jacket, provide a scholarship, whatever it may be, you are helping to build a brighter future that people may say God was working in that church. That is an eternal ambition. And I'll leave you with this last scripture that we just talked about. Truly I tell you, whatever you do for me, whatever you do for the least of these, you do it for me. Father God, I pray that the giving today will be such a blessing on this community, such a blessing on this church, and such a blessing on the people who give that they can't help but be compelled to continue to give because the blessings are raining down from heaven. Lord, I pray for peace that passes all understanding, a peace that we cannot fully understand or describe. 
as we give today. Let there be joyful givers. Let there be hearts of rejoicing. I, I love to give and sacrifice to you, Father God, because I want to honor you. I have eternal ambitions, Lord. And I pray, Lord God, that we can always focus and understand that as much as this life has ups and downs, our ultimate goal is to hear you say one day, well done, good and faithful servant. So Father God, as this church gives their offering today, I pray that they will also hear and understand that in their hearts, that they may be well, that they may be good and faithful servants. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Good reminder, and, and it's a good principle to follow. And there was one feast uh, called the Feast of Ingathering, and it would be at the end of the season, kind of the end of the year, and the farmers would, uh, all the Hebrews would bring in um, a harvest offering to the temple. And it was bringing the first of one's harvest, and it would uh, display trust that God would provide enough to last that winter, the spring planting, the summer, and all the way to the following harvest. And that's kind of what we're doing here today. We're giving back. We're giving into the kingdom of God. And I love your message today, Pastor, that we have an eternal ambition. We're not doing this just because. Well, Pastor said I have to give an offering. You know, I'll give him an extra offering today. But I hope you understand the heart and the vision. This church has been doing this for 50 years, give or take probably. And uh, it's just a powerful statement that we are telling the Lord and we're giving back to him what uh, a portion of what he's blessed us with. And so ushers, if you would come and everyone, if you would prepare to give, if you have a check, if you could mark the memo, Harvest Festival offering, Harvest offering, something like that. If you aren't prepared to give in this moment, you can give online at our website. Um, it's, I tried it the other day and I think it's fairly uh, easy to maneuver. Um, if you want to bring in more this week or, or next Sunday, um, we can do that as well. So Heavenly Father, God, we love you, Lord, and we take this moment, um, we've, we've prayed, we've thought about it, you've placed something on our heart to give, and we don't want to just, you know, drop this into the, the plate and not think about it anymore. We, we like this uh, illustration of this girl that brought her all she had in her uh, offering can, and we bring that to you, God. We, uh, we want this to bless the ministries and the missions that we're giving it to. God, and you can multiply and supply all of their needs and that they would be blessed and they would see this um, kingdom impact in, in their life. And God, if there could just be a little miracle that takes place in them, that if it's something that they're praying for, may this offering be enough to, to cover that and they would be able to see your goodness and, and your, your power in this offering. And God, that we would be able to see the souls that are impacted by this and, and just understand the, the value of giving. 
So I just pray that you bless this offering that we give to you today. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys as you've given today, and and uh, we just want to uh, go into our meal time. If you want to take a few moments and whatever talk or go use the restroom, you can do that. But uh, the meal is ready. Do I get a thumbs up? Yeah. So um, what we're gonna do? We're going to open this uh, accordion-style door, and then we also have uh, a serving table with the exact same food. I promise not one's better than the other, okay? Um, and so if, you know, if you're closer to this door and you want to come up that way, we'll kind of let this table go first, and then uh, back there, if you want to start with that table back there and go, and, and then you can come back and, and eat in here, and then... We should have enough first seconds, but obviously, uh, if you're one of the first ones done, just wait and make sure everybody has gone through, and we'll kind of announce if we have. Um, but we do have uh, desserts as well, and they may be on a separate table out there, and there's drinks on your table, there's coffee at the coffee bar, and all that kind of stuff. So I would, before we get too crazy and wild uh, and not be able to come back to this, I would like to thank everyone that's helped with uh, preparing this. If you like the table set up this way, it was my idea. If you don't like it and wish we'd never done it, uh, you can blame Becky for that. No, just kidding. No, but uh, Becky's done the decorating and several helpers. We had a lot of helpers setting up, uh, taking stuff down and uh, preparing the food. Different people took them, uh, cooked the meat and prepared the sides and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, would you just uh, thank any of the ladies that you see with an apron have been involved more than just